0: Hello, everyone. Uh, this is our second podcast on from our podcast series on managing your time and motivation to get results. We are going to talk about today uh, becoming tam affluent and getting things done with maximum results. So my name is Sonia Tomaszkovic and I work at the Research and Development at the University of Cambridge. Uh, today we have Natasha Wilson with, me, with us today. She's a director and founder of Cambridge Insights. She specializes in 21st century leadership skills and mindsets, mindsets to support researchers uh, in order to maximize their impact. Uh, she designs and delivers workshops and programs focusing on leadership and innovation. Uh, So a very warm welcome, Natasha. Thank you very much for coming and great to have you with me today.
1: Thank you so much, Sonia. And I'm really delighted to be back. Uh, And I'd like to encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast to maybe catch uh, the first one we did, which was focusing on the diagnostic phase. So trying to understand how we spend our time and which habits and routines impact our productivity.
0: Yes, exactly. I would encourage you as well. Please do check the first podcast because they're kind of relating to each other. So today we are going to look at the solutions, uh, identify ways we can improve our time management and get things done with sort of maximum results on our research projects and, and other related activities.
1: Yes and time management is a big topic uh, especially in the kind of change of our environments in which we operate and, and working more from home and in and, and different environments. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to really look at the tips and methods which can help us get back in control of our time and increase you know our, our productivity feeling like we are achieving what we want to
0: achieve. Yes exactly and To be honest, even at the best of times, researchers uh, often are faced with a large, you know, huge workloads and they often feel that they haven't got enough time uh, to do it all. So how can we prioritize our work in an efficient and sort of productive way?
1: Yes, it's a really good question. I would think that prioritization skills are so important in managing research projects and for our life in general. And I think all of us have already acquired some skills. So that's why we're here today. But as I mentioned before, we live in a world of busyness. I don't know if you feel that, Sonia. It's like that mm-hmm. like every moment of our life, we have to be uh, awake and need to be filled by something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a few suggestions that might help. And I don't know if you use that one, Sonia, but the first one is using a simple matrix to prioritize our tasks, milestones, activities against relevant criteria. And that relevant criteria are quite important because you can mm-hmm. decide which one they are for you. But the one that is mostly used is the important urgent matrix, which are, you may be familiar with. It's the first one that everybody talks about. Um, And it suggests that you should work on what is highly important uh, or urgent first and tasks that are not important last. So a bit of common sense here. Um, But it can be sometimes difficult to decide where to place the tasks um, because you may feel a bit overwhelmed. So when everything seems urgent and important, then it doesn't really serve your work for you. So um, I've been looking at this, and I've been using different ways. You can also try to prioritize your activities against additional criteria, such as maybe easy and difficult. So how easy or how you know difficult the tasks are, or even something a bit more interesting, like rewarding versus boring. So of course it's very subjective, but you know our minds work in odd ways, and uh, having these other criteria, this other level. Of, uh, assessments might help you um, get started or might also help you prioritize in a more efficient manner. So it's really a way to connect with your mind at a more interesting level and it engages at a deeper level and help you take into consideration the level of difficulty, the energy required to complete the task. So it is quite multi-dimensional. Um, the other option is to categorize your tasks by maybe something like must do should do or could do so in research you know we talk about research questions so it's very difficult sometimes to think about how do you split all this because we are explorers and we like to explore further and do things that are maybe either pushing boundaries or or challenging status quo so that ability for us to split it by must do should do could do can help us prioritize without necessarily giving up on some of the activities. We know that we might be able to do that if we have more resources, or if we can maybe delegate or do some other things differently. So it's quite a good alternative to the kind of urgent importance, um, and maybe it relates a bit more to the world of research. Um, But by categorizing the tasks or bigger activities this way, we start taking into consideration um, capacity resources and this leads to good time project management practices which is key to researchers. So the final option I'd like to share with you today on this is to identify the one important activity or task you need to get done today and I say one you could go up to three but I say usually start with one Um, and what you need to do is start with this activity this task before you do anything else before You actually open your emails before you are looking at answering queries from colleagues, before you pick up the phone or look at social media or whatever that you're doing. Um, So it requires a certain element of discipline, but that will really make sure that you are focusing your mind on the most important task or activity you've identified for the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. So I think we talk about eating your frog, which I think is a really hilarious expression, but this is what it is. It's like you have to do that first. So I don't know if
0: you've tried that, Sonia, in any of these prioritization matrix or, or the frog bit. <laughs> <laughs> Not the frog bit, but uh, <laughs> I, yeah, this is really useful, actually. I did try reward, uh, the, sorry, the important urgent matrix, and I have to say, I really like that one. And that one, for me, it's very helpful because when I categorize my task into things that has to be done, you know, immediately, and they're very important. However, I haven't tried the variation of it that you mentioned, and I really like that one, the rewarding uh, boring matrix. So to kind of to decide on tasks that are really really um, uh, interesting and I enjoy doing versus the tasks that are not so uh, enjoyable. But then if you do the rewarding one first and you feel like, oh, that's great. I'm motivated. I want to do more. And then you kind of intervene this boring task as well to finish. I kind of feel that perhaps for me, that would be quite a much easier way to to go about the boring tasks and things that I don't enjoy doing. So yeah, thank you for that. That's actually really useful. And I'm, I might play a little bit with the rewarding <laughs> and boring things as well. Um, in the last podcast, we, we started to talk a little bit about the smart goals uh, um, and just kind of introducing that that concept. Um, I'm also keen to hear a little bit more and your tips on, on making our goals smarter. Uh, uh, and how do we do that? How do we go about that?
1: Sure. So we unpicked a little bit more uh, what SMART meant. So do you remember it's about specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and Mm -hmm. timed goals, and that's to help us making it happen. So this takes some time and uh, a type of, of different thinking to get it right. But it's a really good way to define our goals with more precision and depth. So we may not be able to do this straight away for all our goals, as I mentioned in research, sometimes it's about questions, not goals. You have to translate them in in what you you mean. But this is a really good technique to learn. So, for instance, instead of just writing, uh, I don't know, write ethical documents or ethical approval document, you would actually say write first draft of ethics approval document by this date. So you're trying to be much more specific and precise and uh, knowing that you have a located writing time in your schedule to make this happen. So you also have a kind of plan of action in a way. Mm. So it's not just the writing a smart goal. It's like putting time in your calendar, thinking about people you might want to talk to. And if you want to also add another element, which I think is interesting, I'm just thinking about here, is making sure that you also understand maybe the possible obstacles, challenges you might encounter, mm-hmm. and then start to kind of like think about potential ways how you might solve them. So you're already anticipating uh, some of the issues and then you make them smarter every time so that's one way you can do it i also think that when working with teams and collaborators when you have smarter goals it's really important um it clarifies what you're trying to achieve and you can use that in connection with a uh, timeline or gone charts which captures those goals and deadlines so it's, it makes it be easier to understand what what is expected from everyone So you can always adapt the timeline when additional data becomes available. You know, uh, the life is not perfect and we all know that we have these goals, but then things happen, external factors happen uh, and we have to adapt them, but it really helps focus the mind and work towards common goals. Um, So I think that's a really powerful way to do this. And my final suggestion on this is to chunk activities or milestones into smaller tasks to really understand what is involved Um, at a more detailed level. So you might not want to do it for everything, but especially when it's new activities, uh, something you're unfamiliar with, or it's in collaboration with others and you've not worked together, it really is a good practice to make sure you identify the subtasks and aim to have more accurate view of the work involved and how much time and effort you need to spend on it. So it's kind of good practice and it, it works well.
0: Yes absolutely and uh, to be honest I think one of the best advices I I received was to break this big sort of huge task into smaller uh, uh, in order to kind of see these achievable goals on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, something that seems like, okay, I can do that, rather than this huge thing at the end of two, three, four years, uh, that you think, well, I don't even know where to start because it's such a, such a huge mountain I have to climb. Um, and also this helps with motivation, because again, yes. you can see the end of it, you can see sort of the, end, uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, and it helps you to become more motivated because you know you'll get there. Um, and also it focuses on the right things
1: yes and i just want to mention a bit more on that and there's one thing you just made me think of is actually it's our ability to understand um different planning skills and to develop different planning skills you exactly as you said you've got the short range planning skills so they're the one that the daily tasks or weekly tasks and activities you need to kind of plot into your schedule but exactly as you said you know understanding the purpose and the overall goal is it your uh you know phd thesis is it the end of a project is it publication and that long-range planning skill has to work in conjunction with your short everyday planning skill so it's kind of understanding the two and how they integrate together Mm -hmm. the other element that i think is really critical and you've already touched about that um is also this kind of time attitude and we'll talk more of this you know uh a little bit later but it's around that time attitude how do we see our time and are we focusing on being busy so feeling that we're doing a lot or are you focusing on impact and results? And I think it's related back to your overall goal. You know, you will adapt what you do on a daily basis and weekly basis when you understand if it drives and if it kind of benefits your overall higher and longer term goal. So I just wanted to add this because I think that was so pertinent in in what you you shared with us. Uh, So uh, focusing on the right things. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, so I worked on a research project where we asked principal investigators to uh, share their tips on what it was like to become a principal investigator and one of the interview questions was around hot tips on you know success, how do they make it work and the research findings suggest that PIs emphasize the need to focus on the right things and for them on the top of their list was publication and funding. So looking back, they were prioritizing their activities by importance and more specifically impact. So again, that idea of impact comes back. Impact on their careers, on their research pipeline and funding opportunities. So this, I think, really is quite interesting because it suggests that we need to prioritize our work differently to make it work for us in the long run um, and in research, specifically in the environment in which we work. Um, I would like to add that, though that focusing on the right thing may look different depending on the phase of your PhD and the research project. So the focus of activity is different. Uh, for instance, um, there are times you may want to focus on writing your thesis or getting this pe- paper submitted on time. So there's an element of flexibility with this approach, and it really depends on context. But that idea of prioritizing what is the right thing is linked mm-hmm. to this longer term purpose goal that you have in mind.
0: Thank you for that. That's actually really interesting as well. Um, now, to move a little bit from that, I just have something crossed my mind now, so to ask that. Um, in, in relating to routines that we are setting and, and kind of rules to adhere to in terms of time management, at times we can feel that there is huge pressure to respond on emails, for example, you know, 24-7 because emails come all sorts of time, you know, middle of the night and so on and you feel like, oh, I have to do that because it's my supervisor, it's my PI or whatever. Um, so this boundary between work and life seems to be, you know, blur more than ever, I think. Um, so should we be more disciplined? What do you think about that? How do we manage that?
1: Yes, a hot topic, uh, I think, for all of us, as we had to cope with working from home for a fair amount of time. So uh, it really depends on the type of time management issues you're faced with um, and the type of activity and your preferences. So I would say that one solution or one type of discipline doesn't fit all. However, it's fair to say that our time is our precious, most precious asset, and we owe it to ourselves to use it really wisely for maximum impact. So I found that it can really be helpful to block time for specific activities and stick to it. That's about discipline. I call it the art of taming your diary. Uh, So you may not have control how you spend all of your time, uh, of course, and some activities such as teaching or committee meetings, for instance, are often scheduled in advance and cannot easily be changed. But whenever possible, it's really good practice to plan your activities throughout the week, ensuring that you are respecting your working preferences. So we mentioned it in the previous podcast, in my case, my productivity and ability to focus reach a flat 0% after 8 p.m., but I can work productively from 6 in the morning. So that ability to, you know, chunking, blocking time uh, for specific activities that you can control is really useful. So, uh, So I would also suggest another technique which allow you to get tasks done by alternating focus time for a task and short breaks. And this is often referred as the Pomodoro technique, uh, and it's really, really powerful. So you can even use an app to set the timer. But the benefit of this method is increasing discipline and chunking your time for productivity and focus. So the breaks are as important as the focus time. And I use this technique when I have to write a masterclass or paper, for instance, and prepare for this podcast. It works really well. You decide on the length of the work break intervals in line with the task difficulty level. So for me, 30 minutes intensive work is ideal when writing, followed by a short 10 minutes break. But I know that for some research shows uh, the intervals have to be much longer. But the other three elements critical in helping you to take control of that time are also to reduce interruptions, distractions, and constant multitasking. So this is discipline. This is about I'm dedicated to do this task and I have certain time to do it. And then I'm going to get this uh, treat, which is a break. And it's a break that is very well-defined. So when we talk, for instance, about interruptions and distractions and the multitasking, they are extremely negative uh, and have huge impact on our productivity over the long term. So it's also extremely tiring for us. So how do we avoid interruptions? By using this Pomodoro technique, well, everything that you do, you switch everything off, you switch emails, you just really concentrate on that task. So you can silence your notifications, switch your st- status to away or busy, uh, only read and respond to emails at certain times of the day. And I also mentioned the cost of multitasking because it seems that we're not really multitasking, but we are effectively switching between tasks and this requires energy every time we do this. So we lose focus and we often need 10 minutes or more to refocus or concentrate on the task. So imagine if you do that 20 times a day, and I often fall in this trap where my mind is constantly busy and working on multiple projects or tasks, and it's a very ineffective and a kind of firefighting approach that doesn't serve us. So from my experience, what do I do? And again, it goes back to discipline. I switch off my phone, my computer, I go for a walk away from technology. And this requires discipline and courage at times. But I found that even five minutes or 10 minutes, you know, can break has a huge impact.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I I completely agree and exactly understand what you mean. Um, We are so used to be connected that it becomes really hard to switch off. But again, I will go back to what you were saying. We have to protect our productive time. And if it's morning, evening, whenever that is, you have to just be able to say no to things and just switch it off and, and, and switch everything off, whatever, you know, uh, mode of communications you have and just focus on the task at hand because you will be much more productive. You will finish it in shorter time and actually then you then you can connect and, and be available for others. And I remember uh, I met a researcher uh, um, who was who told me that she when she would do writing, for example, which she found difficult, she would put all to reply on her emails. So that was the thing that she just do, did because in emails, it wasn't like easy to say, oh, I'm busy now. But she would say, oh, to reply, I'm not available from, I don't know, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. or whatever, 1 p.m. Uh, I'll get, you know, you'll get my response in the afternoon or whatever timing it was. And that worked really well. Okay. So there are things one can do in order to protect the productive time um, in order to achieve the goals that they're uh, going towards. Um I understand we do need to switch off also to boost our productivity and get things done. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more uh, still about that as well?
1: Yes, I've got a few things I'd like to cover. So um, I really think that the switching off is really important. Our mind needs time to breathe in a way. We may have heard about the eureka moment in creativity. And when you get these amazing ideas or solve a problem you know out of the blue or it feels like it, you'll notice that those ideas come to you when you're doing something else not related and often more relaxing. So I get my best ideas when I run or just after it, for instance. So we need to add this in our schedules, some downtime, which allows your brain to process, sort, create and solve problems. I will also share that I use power naps and some of you may like it. Some others may not, but that helps me focus and be more productive. So it doesn't work for everyone, try it first and see what happens. And for me, I just need 18 minutes. I don't need a timer or an alarm. I can fall asleep easily and wake up naturally after 18 minutes, full of energy and really focused on the task ahead. So, you know, that may be an advantage of working from home is that you can decide when you have your power nap. But the other option is also to have time in the week when you have a lighter schedule. Some schedule, time to choose what you want to focus on as you see fit and in view of your energy life projects and motivation i call it the buffer time it's like you know you can still book the time but it's not necessarily linked to a specific activity is this kind of catch-up time as well or it may be just time to think and just dream and that's okay they are so precious these moments for our well-being it creates space but it also boosts your productivity in the long run
0: Yeah, I I like the idea of this kind of light schedule and having time to think rather than jumping between sort of meetings and tasks all the time. I find it quite difficult. Um, So you mentioned also about space. uh, um, You talked about space here. Is this also connected with the idea of having time affluence? Yes, Sonia. And I love
1: this concept of time affluence. It's like so wonderful to hear. Uh, it's an opportunity to have a better relationship with our time, to own our time in a way. Mm-hmm. So time affluence is fighting the notion we have little time, that time is scarce. It's engaging a conversation about the use of our time and what we want to do with it. So it requires active choice. And remember I mentioned about the time attitude as well, that we're mm-hmm. looking more at impact rather than business. So it's mm-hmm. not about—it's more about quality and focus and impact than number of hours, quantity, and the idea of being busy all the time. So this may also uh, be an involving learning how to say no when the option arises. You know, Absolutely. Of course, it's not always possible, but that idea of like, no, I am not going to get distracted and do something else and add more on my plate at this moment in time. So our busyness doesn't always serve us, and I have seen many cases of burnout in research and beyond when individuals really push themselves to the limit of exhaustion, by keeping busy and ignoring early signs of stress. So I think we really owe it to ourselves to uh, be very aware of those of those uh, phenomena and ensure that we decide uh, where where we are and what we do. And I like the analogy of thinking about running. So are you running for a sprint or a marathon? Are you mm. in for a short race or the longer race? And you know the way you would prepare for that would be very different. One is a long distance, one is short distance. So both are amazing races, and amazing way to use our energy, but they have very different purposes. And of course, you need to uh, prepare for it very differently. So if you need to prepare for it differently, think about how you would use your time. And I would like to invite you, this is my final kind of comment for this podcast, to become time affluence and decide where you want to spend your time for maximum
0: impact. That's. Great. Thank you very much, Natasha. I know we can now continue and talk for another five hours about all of that, but I think we need to stop somewhere for the purpose of this podcast. So thank you again for sharing your insight and experience with us. Pleasure to be with you. Bye.